It's the Ambiguously Blind Podcast with your host, a guy that's great up hearing, but terrible at listening, John Grimes. Hey, 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 greetings. Welcome back to the Ambiguously Blind Studio. Thanks for tuning in, subscribing, and supporting the podcast experience. In this episode, we are going to go across the globe from America over to Australia to visit with Andy Donald, also known as the Nocturnal Archer. Andy's a pretty fascinating guy, and in addition to archery, he's into um, music and martial arts, and he's a teacher, and, and lots of other things I want to talk to him about. There'll be a link to his Instagram feed in the notes of this uh, episode, so just look down and you're about to find him. I encourage you to go check him out. There's a lot of really cool images and uh, pictures that he posts, and he calls himself the Nocturnal Archer because uh, Andy has a visual impairment called rod monochromatism. I think I said that correctly. Uh, it's really something I don't know much about at all. And uh, Andy's agreed to come on and, and teach me about that and and uh, how he does what he does and the archery and the other things that he's into. So, hey, Andy, thanks for joining the Ambiguously Blind podcast. It is my pleasure, John, and g'day from Melbourne. Uh, I was going to s- G'day, mate. Let's throw another shrimp on the barbie. I mean, that's, you know, I, I figured I'd make it a little further into the episode before I said that. No, no. Why, why, wait? I love hearing Americans <laughs> try Australian accents. Not many people do them with, with great justice, except I think maybe New Zealanders probably. <laughs> it's not an easy accent to nail. No, but my, uh, my guy there was uh, Ace Ventura. I don't know if you've seen Jim Carrey and Ace Ventura when he... <laughs> Confuses the yeah. Australia the Austria accent for the Australian accent. That's I understand that reference very well. I think how how um, yeah we've got the same vintage references okay. up our sleeves. <laughs> <laughs> Ace Ventura is like it was yesterday. Yes, yes, that is no problem there. That is good stuff. Uh, you're not going to learn anything, but you will be entertained, <laughs> and that's what we're that's what it's all about. I think, right? Absolutely. Well, you are the uh, nocturnal archer. Uh, at That's least, right. At least publicly on on Instagram, which is why I bumped into you. Yes, on the gram. Yeah, on the gram, as the kids say. That's right. And uh, I slid into your DM, and uh, and here we are chatting. So I'm excited to talk to you because you got a lot of really cool pictures and things about uh, archery, and and I know a little bit about archery. I was a Boy Scout. Cool. Back in so was back, I back in the day. And in fact, uh, where are you in the world? Well, I'm in Melbourne, but I, I grew up in Brisbane, which is um, in Queensland, up up in the northeast uh, corner of Australia. Okay. Um, yeah, a little bit more tropical up there. Um, yeah, and I was a Boy Scout too when I was that age. A wee tyke, yeah. So, like, um, I almost visited Melbourne. I see. I say oh, Melbourne, cool. and you say Melbourne. So we gotta. We gotta yeah, yeah. Too. Say it like this: Melbourne, 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 Melbourne. That's it. Okay. Now you got it. Yeah, I might. Yeah. Melbourne. <laughs> In um, I want to say it was nineteen ninety ninety, or maybe ninety two or something. And those there, there was the wow. uh, the Boy Scout Jamboree, the International Boy Scout Jamboree, was in Melbourne. Yeah. No way. And I, I was, the reason I didn't go was because my, my family moved 
from where I was in scouts, like during that mm -hmm. jamboree, we actually were literally moving and I did not go. Really? I had a ton of my buddies that went to Melbourne. Oh, and, cool. Uh, had a great time. So we yeah, might have bumped into each other. Fun. We, we might, it may have, I wasn't there, um, at the Melbourne one back in 92. <laughs> it's probably a little bit, uh, I'm a few years behind you, but not much. But I may have run into you at a, at a gas station or something, you know, you never know. You never know, mate. You never know. <laughs> we could have been throwing time. some shrimps on the Bobby somewhere and we, <laughs> <laughs> we, yes, look, it's possible that that, uh, cliche could have materialized in real life. Um, but you know, there's plenty of time for that. So come and visit one day. Yeah, I should do that. Uh, it'd be fun, but I want to, I want to, so I want to talk about the arching archery stuff and, and we'll allude to boy scout stories from that. And that, that's my archery <laughs> background, but <laughs> I also want to talk to you a little bit about it. This is the ambiguously blind podcast. So I'm more interested in you into the arching archery about the, uh, your visual impairment as well. So mm -hmm. it's rod monochromatism. Is that yeah, that's, pretty close? That's right. Is that kind of like Melbourne? Yeah. Good. Nailed it. Nailed it. <laughs> All right. So I got to tell you, I didn't know anything about this. But the world of visual impairment is so vast and wide that there are so many things that, uh, you know, uh, people people don't know about, including including myself. So I want to know about that and kind of when you walk walk me through that and tell me how that sure. works and and how long you've you've known that you've been that way. Sure, sure. Uh, well, I've had it since birth, um, but I guess we come back to realizing. Um, that you have a vision impairment because that can take a number of years and, and sometimes, you know, it's, it's almost a constant case. I think when you're born with a vision impairment, you, you are slowly discovering the ways in which you see the world differently um, when you have nothing to compare it to. But yeah. And, and but how, do you even, how do you really even know that you're seeing exactly right? I mean, exactly. Yeah, exactly. You, through a lot of conversations with people, um, yeah, that you trust and that, that uh, have um, some knowledge of, of you as a person and, and just comparing, yeah, how you view the world. And I've, I've pieced together over the years, um, yeah, kind of understanding, but it's, it's still constantly changing. Um, it's a very difficult thing to uh, articulate without experiencing it. So every time I talk to a sighted person about how I see the world, I uh, feel like I learn a little bit about how other people see the world mm -hmm. as well. So it's it's a two-way street, and I, I find it pretty fascinating even after all these years. But basically, rod monochromatism, it's a it's a, now I'm not an expert in these things. So okay, good. Um, well, I'm not despite, either. So. Despite having it myself, yeah, I I, I know fundamentally uh, what's going on. So so I have no cone cell function. You have rod cells and cone cells in your eyes, and uh, they do different things. Um, now your cone cells are clustered in the center of the back of the eye, and they um, they're very sensitive. Um, no, sorry. They, they, well, they're sensitive to light in the fact that they, they're active um, during the day. Uh, they are clustered in the center of the back of your eye because that's where your focal point is. Um, 
So they're, they're responsible for your central vision, the vision that, that sees with clarity and at distance. And your, they're also responsible, sorry, your cone cells are also responsible for seeing in color. Um, and your rod cells do everything else uh, in a manner of speaking. They're active at night. They're extremely sensitive to light. They um, are responsible for your peripheral vision. Uh, they see they see much faster with a lot less detail. So um, someone with rod monochromatism who sees only with their rod cells uh, will be extremely sensitive to light, will have no color vision, and will see completely with your peripheral vision. So you don't actually see straight ahead. It's kind of the opposite of tunnel vision in a way. Um, your brain covers up for that missing blind spot in the center of your vision. Mm -hmm. And you see completely with your peripheral vision. So that's um, coupled with the sensitivity to light, the main uh, impairing symptoms of uh, rod monochromatism. So the, the light sensitivity is a big one. And uh, just coping with that um, extreme photophobia is uh, probably takes up, yeah, is, is the bulk of it, really. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I wear custom contact lenses that are very dark red tint because your, your rod cells, your night vision is functioning on the red end of the, the color spectrum, on the light wave spectrum. Sorry if I've got that all completely wrong for anyone uh, that actually knows that's this interesting stuff. <laughs> yeah and and in the daytime you've got the i think it's the blue end or the yeah, yeah. and and so when you have a movie like the hunt for red october and they're all down in the submarine mm -hmm. and they've got that red light on in the submarine that's mm -hmm. so that if they go into blackout uh the sailors eyes are already functioning on their rod cells, on their night vision. Interesting. Um, okay. Yeah. So my contacts are red. Uh, they're very, very dark, like a welding mask kind of tint. Mm -hmm. And then I wear super dark, illegal to drive in style sunnies over the top of them Ooh, during illegal, the day. Huh? Well, they're so dark that they're they're like mountaineering sunnies. Um, and yeah, you can't. You're not supposed to drive in them. It doesn't bothered me though because I, I'm legally blind and I don't drive uh, and they're, they're very much necessary yeah. part of just going outside in, in the daylight. I also wear them at night time. I always have a pair of sunnies on me um, even when I go out at night because often, yeah, when the lights go out or the sun goes down, everyone turns their lights on and um, that contrast sure. can be mm -hmm. pretty blinding. So, and then you have the visual acuity aspect of it. So it's it's not it's not like um, everything is blurry. Uh, it's it's different to long and short sightedness, where you have a focal issue that can be corrected with a, a lens. Um, what you have with rod monochromatism is you're seeing with your peripheral vision, so you can't really make anything clearer. You can just make it bigger. Um, so if that makes sense, a lens can't correct it. Mm -hmm. You're the only 
thing you can do is use a monocular or uh, get extremely close to something mm-hmm. and in, enlarge it. It's, it's yeah. kind of like I think about um, playing old video games, you know, like the difference between um, a Call of Duty game now and Duke Nukem 3D or mm-hmm. Quake when it first came out. Mm-hmm. You, people as old as you and me might remember yeah. that <laughs> that you, you have much lower the graphics, um, graphics. Are, yeah, 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 yeah 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 lower bit so, rates or whatever yeah. they're just yeah so yeah at a, at a certain distance everything just turns into a single pixel right um, and yeah there's not much detail you can extract from that no matter how much you how much clearer you make it um it's still going to be yeah at that uh, level of detail i can relate to that because for me um there's really not any uh, i can make things bigger but there's not really a lens that helps me uh, in my vision see things more clearly. So they just have to be magnified to the point to where they're really big. Like I use on a computer, I'll yep. use like six times uh, magnet, magnetiza- magnetization. Why can't I say that? Or um, I will, uh, you said something else. What'd you say? Um you just get really close. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so and I, I call that uncomfortably close, depending upon what the yeah. subject you're looking at, right? <laughs> so if it's a person, <laughs> mm. uh, yeah. I would have to get uncomfortably close to somebody. So I, I try not to do that, you know. <laughs> uh, I try not yeah, to do that, well, so. isn't that the, that, that's, um, I think that leads nicely into something that anyone with a vision impairment may have heard uh, over and over again, which is, you know, did you forget your glasses? <laughs> yeah, right. When you're looking uncomfortably close at your phone or something, and it's, it's a case of, well, it, you know, if there were a pair of glasses out there that would allow you yeah. to read at the same distance as everyone else, then sure. The casual know, observer them, but, asks you, where did um, you forget your glasses? Yeah, or you, man, you, yeah. you don't look like you have an, you're not blind. Come on. <laughs> yeah, all that stuff. So it, it certainly can be an invisible thing that is, you know, I, again, I call it, this is ambiguously blind, right? So mm. uh, the reason I call it that is because if you were to, you know, encounter me or maybe see me uh, mm. or interact with me, unless I told you probably like nine times out of 10, my vision, my, my impairment wouldn't, wouldn't even be a factor in the discussion, right? Exactly. And yeah, I mean, that raises so many interesting topics because, you know, I think, I wonder uh, when I was reading about you, John, I, I, um, you know, I thought about what the difference between um, being born with a condition like I was or or having a, a sudden loss of vision like you experienced might might change that because I believe you're in your early 20s when um, you experienced your vision loss. Yeah. Um, and I distinctly remember, you know, growing up as a, as a kid, not so much as a young kid, but especially once I hit my teens and I was in high school and um, trying to make a good impression on people my age and be cool, mm-hmm. um, wasn't that keen to have an obvious disability uh, or, or be different or stand yeah. out for those reasons. So I think during that time, I developed a lot of techniques to fake my um, oh, yeah. my vision. Oh, yeah. And uh, it's surprising how many of those I've retained as I've, I've gotten older, even when I don't really care anymore. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I can um, relate to that too, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I say I don't care, but I, the fact is 
there is always a part of you that is um, that is on the defense, that's ready to go, that has a response loaded for you know if I hop on the tram and I have my white cane, I use an ID cane, not a mobility cane, but it's it's still a, a yeah. white cane. Mm-hmm. It's it stands out, and then I think, what if I get my phone out now and have a little check? I might not actually be looking at my phone. I might just have, you know, um, I know where Spotify is and I, I press it. I can't read that that app is Spotify, but I know where it is. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm looking or I might be reading a text with some magnification software and giant letters, uh, you know. Um, but it, it, it looks like a blind guy hopped on the, the tram, put away his cane and took out his phone and you're always ready to sort of, you know, defend that um, yeah, position. Like, uh, so, you're, you're not faking it or something, right? Yeah. Yes, exactly, exactly. Um, and it's it's interesting to me how, yeah, we, um, we sort of develop these methods of coping, of of normalizing and fitting in. And I think we all do it. It it for for me, it's been more obvious through my vision impairment but Mm -hmm. you know um (laughs) i I think we all compensate in in uh, oh that's just human nature yeah absolutely and there's certain you know there's there's all there's all the times there's things that happen that you couldn't have predicted or just things that happen where maybe going into a long discussion about your your situation and the same would probably apply to those to somebody else and maybe they got something going on even personally that makes an interaction not very fun for, you know, like, I don't know, like they just broke up with their boyfriend or their, their pet just died or something that happened in their life. And and, find me someone who doesn't (laughs) have something. Exactly. um, So we we all have those things to cope with and deal with. And then, you know, we all have to deal with each other. You know, it's a, there's a smart man that once told me that world would be such a great place if we didn't have to deal with people, you know, so. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but, but particularly as it pertains to vision, I, you know, just a little story that just happened to me, a real life example of this a couple of days ago. So like, and it's a Boy Scout story, kind of a tie the Boy Scouts into this. Uh, one of our neighbors, um, who I don't know really at all, um, came by and they're selling, uh, mulch as the Boy Scouts, Mm -hmm. like a fundraiser, right? I was like, yeah, I'll get some mulch, right? And so I tell them how many I want. And a month later they come to deliver it. And it's the mom and dad and the boy and they're at our house and they're unloading them. And I don't know these guys. And yeah. we, we sat, we stood there and talked as we were unloading these bags of mulches, uh, bags of mulch. And it never came up in the conversation that I really can't see that well. Yeah. And what we were doing didn't really, I didn't need to see very well. Yep. But like if I see them tomorrow or next week and I walk right by them because I don't recognize really yeah. anybody, they're going to be like, <laughs> guy's so rude you know yeah yeah but in the in the course of the conversation that we had we were talking about boy scouts and talking about mulch and talking about you know whatever we talked about for 10 minutes and then they left and i was like man i really wish i had a another minute to just kind of let them know that um i'm not Mm. i'm not you know uh too good to talk to you when we cross each other in the street again it's just so it's things like that where the ambiguous yep. nature of, of impairment, uh, vision, and, and the spectrum, and, and what people can and can't see that. Well, I think, yeah, that's, that's really interesting. I mean, you wouldn't, um, I think that that also ties into the fact that 
uh, in the the incredibly diverse world of disability, vision impairment is is still quite um, well. I'll say rare uh, because percentagely it makes up a very small proportion mm-hmm. of of the disability spectrum, and and I think that's reflected in people's awareness of um, you know of how vision impairment affects people. Uh, it's not always, you know, um, yeah, I just, I just wonder uh, because, like you said before, it, it, it can be one of those things that you can uh, have a, a whole interaction like that and it just never comes up, you know. Um, and other disabilities that, that might not be, the case you know if you're in a wheelchair and yeah it's much more visually uh, yeah it's much more obvious yeah well you would never say like that person i met in a wheelchair so rude like when everyone else stood when i greeted them but they just sat there (laughs) you know that would um would obviously be ridiculous but Mm -hmm. like i i'm i'm quite concerned myself about those things as well I, i work as a music teacher and i work with a lot of um young people and their families and you know i just have to constantly give them the um the uh spiel that i'm i'm vision impaired you kind of got to be proactive or like out in front of it professionally in certain situations i think you do right you just have to accept that there is a, a lack of awareness and that that's okay sure um i'm not here to be the educator all the time but on a personal level, like um, it's, yeah, it, it takes a bit of practice though. And yeah, I just remind people that I'm going to reintroduce myself to you over and over again. Yeah. I'm going to ask who this is, even though I'm looking right at you. Mm-hmm. Um, and until I get to know other things about you, and then you change your hairstyle and, and I, I and have then to, we start over I again. reintroduce right. <laughs> exactly like your silhouette changes. <laughs> You know, I, yeah, I don't know who you are anymore. Um, so those are things that, yeah, I can really, really relate to. Um, but I've had some weird experiences, as I'm sure you have too, yeah, you know, um, when you fake it well enough and then, you know, I've had job interviews, it's all been going well, and, you know, we'd love to have you. And I say, well, I don't know when the appropriate time is to mention this for a job that, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't like I was going for a school bus drive. Yeah, I was going to say it's, like a, that, right? it's a delivery job or something, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, it was a, a music teaching job. So it's not, you know, uh, it wasn't a safety issue, mm-hmm. but yeah, I've had some strange reactions like, uh, by the way, I'm legally blind. I'm like, oh, so that's why you were looking all funny. Mm-hmm. That's why you had that weird look. You're looking weirdly around the room, like, you know, um, all right. What's your excuse for looking weird? <laughs> <laughs> He's going to tell you, you do look weird. Yeah. I mean, yeah, just the other night I was at a party and, and um, I, I had my sunglasses on in the kitchen. And of course, you, you yeah. know, you hear, oh, yeah. oh, take your sunnies off in the kitchen. Too uh-huh. cool for everyone. And, and I think, well, the younger me might have launched into, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, some kind of um, well articulated explanation. But, uh, but me at, at this present time, I just have a bit of a joke about it. And sometimes you feel like flying the banner and sometimes you don't. Yeah. I don't know if you can relate to that. But, yeah, um, definitely. And I like that you call them sunnies. 
Sunnies. Uh, I just call them yeah. sunglasses. <laughs> so I like maybe I'll start calling them sunnies. I like that. Sure. Everything in Australia gets abbreviated. Uh, you just take the last syllable and add an e on the end. Okay. You know, um, or an o, an o. Like we have a, uh, a what do you call a um, where do you buy alcohol in the states? A, a liquor store or a liquor store. Yeah. Here we call them a bottle shop, okay. and that gets shortened to a bottle o. Okay. Yeah, there's, there's an example. But Sunnies. Now, can you get um, can you get Vegemite at a bottle? Oh yeah, Vegemite. You can, can you get that at the bottle? Of- <laughs> well, I mean, you can get the precursor to Vegemite, and Vegemite just comes from beer, actually. Okay. Well, there you <laughs> it's like a waste product, I believe. Right. So yeah. you know, yeah. <laughs> okay, I think I've worked all of my uh, Australian. Um, Oh, I'm uh, sure you have now. We'll, we'll see. I'm but sure there's more. Yeah, those yeah, are the yeah, ones we'll that I had teed up. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Uh, but I'm interested in a lot more of the in the teaching part and the music stuff too, because uh, there's a lot of interaction stuff there. But also, I think one of the things that you mentioned was the the color portion of. Yeah, it's a pretty interesting one. I think people find this really fascinating, and um, and I've found it more interesting as I've gotten older, to be honest, because I've never seen color. I'm, I'm totally colorblind, which is rare. A lot of colorblindness is to do with the, um, of, of confusing certain colors mm-hmm. uh, with other colors, um, not being able to see certain colors, yeah. but being able to see others uh, in some context. Um, but but I see with a, a complete grayscale, and um, it's just honestly, it's yeah, it's a funny one to talk about because people love color, is what I've discovered. It must be there must be something special about it. Yeah, it's pretty you cool. Know? Yeah, yeah. So I've heard. Uh, never seen it. I don't <laughs> know what I'm missing. So um, it just never interested me. Sure. I just don't, yeah. you know, uh, I've, I've had friends who are totally blind, especially growing up, completely blind, no vision at all. Um, and once you don't, you know, know what you're missing out on. Yeah, you just, just shut that part down. And yeah, you, you, yeah. yeah, exactly. It's no longer relevant. Uh, and it takes a while to sort of, you know, develop an in. Uh, a curiosity, I guess, about it. And so I do like talking about color. It's it's the least of my concerns, however. Like, I think, you know, if I was totally colorblind and, and that was it, then we probably wouldn't be having this conversation because um, I don't see it as much of a vision impairment. It, it might be more of a, like, it's funny, but that's the thing that people seem to react most strongly about. Oh, you can't see very clearly, or you can't see in the light. But when they hear you can't see color, it's like a massive tragedy. Yeah. <laughs> Which you know, I'm beginning to understand that that would be a very big adjustment. Um, losing your color vision would probably freak you right out. And in fact, there's a fascinating uh, book um, by Oliver Sacks, uh, the neurologist and, and writer, where he documents the case of a man who lost his color vision in an accident i don't ask me how mm-hmm. it happened it's been a while since i've read it but um yeah he was a, an artist and, and was quite physically sick for uh, years um 
and yeah, it, it's it's a very interesting thing to to talk about, and uh, I I find that the colours that must stand out to people with colour vision they they generally just don't stand out to me, and I might look at a piece of advertising. It's particularly obvious because usually they're bright colours designed mm-hmm. to catch your eye, and I I would think I can't even read that text on that background. Yeah, why because of the contrast, you, yeah. Yeah, why would you do that? But but if uh, and that just goes to show I think how vastly different something can look from one person to another. And I also say vastly because I'll be talking with uh, friends and my partner is um, a visual artist as well and so she's able to articulate colour very well and um and we all have comparisons of so I see in tone, you know, this this tone is darker than this tone. This tone is lighter, paler mm-hmm. than this tone. And we match them up, you know, which which is darkest to you. And it it can be completely the opposite sometimes. So, you know, it, it's like um it's quite it's quite trippy when you think about it. You know, something can go from a deep a dark, dark shade to a very pale shade from mm. one person's perspective to another. And, um, yeah, that must make our visionscapes extremely unique. Yeah, really. well, there's there's billions and billions and, and billions of colors and such slight variations between all of them. And it's, you know, it would it's, it is fascinating. There, there's... Really, two things that that's one in the the con the well contrast of course but like also the light to dark transition for you sounds similar to me where like you know possibly the 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 worst thing that would could happen to me in a, in a lighting environment i wear sunnies pretty regularly even on a cloudy day um mm-hmm. it's mostly uh, really two factors one is for protection uh, i am totally blind to my right eye and there's mm. been there's been many times where I will brush into something like maybe I walk too close to a tree or oh, a limb right. or something and I I wouldn't even see it and it could just you know hit me in the eye yeah yeah so it's it's that protection for that eye but for my left eye where my vision is uh, or my sight is um, the transition from light to dark or from light to dar- uh, dark to light is it takes it takes me a while to adjust it takes it takes my eye a while to adjust so like. Walking out of a movie theater, like you go see a, a movie at mm-hmm. noon, you know, and it's 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 light outside. You're in there, the movie, mm-hmm. and it's dark, and then like you walk out, and like, bam! It's like knocks me on the ground. The, the, the well, difference. that's it's very interesting you meant bring that up because yeah, the um, what is unique about rod monochromatism is there is no adjustment. So um, if you put yourself, uh, and, and you can all experience rod monochromatism if you wish, <laughs> to a degree. Just go and lock yourself in a pitch black room with no light source for, for about 40 minutes, and there you have it. That's, that's the sensitivity that my eyes are functioning up under uh, all the time. And wh- when your eyes transition completely to your rod cells, you, you are not seeing any color. It's pitch black. That's How true. would you know? Yeah, that's you know, right. You, an animal, like a nocturnal animal, which is leads to my Instagram handle. Um, certain nocturnal animals only have rod cells uh, in their eyes. Um, you don't have enough light 
to use colour at night. You can't see, you know, for miles Mm because it's dark. So why do you need eagle-like long-range vision? Mm -hmm. But you do need pretty sensitive eyes and good peripheral vision to stop stuff sneaking up on you in the dark. Mm -hmm. So your peripheral vision is important. And, um, yeah, basically, like, that's... That's how I'm seeing. So, so when the lights come back on after your 40, 45 minutes in a, in a pitch black room, your eyes will, or the average eye will take a while to readjust. Uh, as soon as it senses light, your cone cells will come back online and start um, doing the heavy lifting there. For me, however, that doesn't happen. I'm, I'm in full pitch black dark room nocturnal mode, mode all the time yeah all the time yeah and that means that when the lights go out you know it's it's fine i can see straight away um very comfortably and if you were to uh you know you're out camping you you flick on your headlamp for a bit to read the map or to make a coffee and as soon as you see that light source your cone cells come back online mm-hmm. and you've you're going to have to spend that half an hour, 40 minutes to regain your night vision. So there's this, there's a funny advantage, I suppose. Um, that's the way I like to look at it with rod monochromatism that, yeah, when the lights go out, you, you will see very comfortably, probably more comfortably than I've seen, you know, during the day and uh, while everyone else is bumping around. Yeah, that's when the party starts their way for you, right? Yeah. Yeah, the, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, it's like uh, you have to do all those adjustments to the light manually. So you'll see me, I walk out of the shade. If I'm in, in, in a room even um, inside, I walk into a brighter part of the room, I put my sunnies down, mm-hmm. I walk into a darker part, I take them yeah. off. Um, you're always you know, making those adjustments yourself. And you have lots of pairs of sunnies? So many. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm the same way. I mean, I, I don't have enough ever because I leave them, I lay them. You know, oh, something that's as, yeah. as critical to to my just kind of daily routine. You would think <laughs> I would treat them like they were, you know, like the like gold or something, but I throw them yeah. around and I have kids and they pick them up and put them places and yeah, right. they get scratched and uh, I, I can never have enough uh, sunglasses. Yeah, I've I've become a lot better as I've gotten older. But but when I was younger, I used to lose them yeah. so much. Yeah, terribly. Um, and a lot of them are custom made jobs, so they have to be so dark. Yeah. Uh, so yes, uh, I have a big fear of losing my precious sunglasses. But yeah, I keep them pretty close well, to me. These does the days. Does the Nocturnal Archer have a sponsor? Should we can we work on a sponsorship here? Wow. You know that'd be great. A sunglass sponsorship would be uh, would be wonderful, wouldn't it? I think we'd all appreciate. I think that. most of those yeah. uh, images that I see on Instagram are uh, you're probably. I think most of them you're wearing shades, not all of them, but. Well, a lot of the time I take them off, uh, and if you if you have a look at an image of me on my Instagram, I take all my own photos because I enjoy photography as well. Um, you you might see a, a pic of me with my eyes open, you know, um, with a with a bow in my hand of doing something archery related. But there's there's almost a hundred percent chance that with my eyes open, I can't see anything. Yeah. So how do you take the picture? <laughs> 
Well, I, I use a camera with a timer and I um, okay. just go slowly and I a bit of trial and error. Sure. Um, I have spent a lot of time um, practicing photography over the years and uh, I love, as a vision, per- in vision impaired person, I love how photography can enable me to see something that I could not see with my with my vision mm-hmm. uh, I can capture a moment and I can inspect it in in detail yeah. uh, at my leisure I can zoom in on it I can look at things it, it's one of the things that helps me immensely with um, archery is uh, you need to be able to see yourself mm-hmm doing something sometimes it can well it's a it's a massive benefit yeah when you're doing something physical like that to be able to to have that feedback um but uh as my my time as a musician and a performing musician you know um there's well there's a certain amount of um connectability that we have when when we get to see someone's eyes and as much as i've been resistant to that over the years um and adamant that it's it's my choice to wear sunglasses when i'm performing or when i meet somebody and it's it's uncomfortable and you know i need to to wear them that um you know there is a a social component of being able to see someone's Mm -hmm. eyes and um i guess yeah that's that's one of the very rare times where I, I will, you know, make that exception um, to in the quest for a good pick. <laughs> yeah. I might take my sunnies off. It's also, it's a really, uh, it can be quite difficult to practice archery with sunglasses, with especially bulky sunglasses because um, the string sits yeah. so close to your face. Uh, so yeah, if I can, I'll I'll prefer to practice when the the lights are low, and I don't have to wear my sunnies so much. But yeah, I I love a good pair of uh, mountaineering sunglasses. Um, I used to wear the Bolle glasses with the leather side flaps, mm-hmm. and I've I've rediscovered those in adulthood. Uh, yeah, they're they're a lot of they're a lot of fun, but particularly they're just extremely dark and really great in that way. <laughs> yeah. So let's walk me through. How do you get started in archery? Is that is that a boyhood thing or? Uh, no, not really. No. It. I mean. I mean. I think the the love of something physical, martial arts, sharp, pointy projectiles, all of that stuff was was there from a, a young age. Like. Uh, I've always loved martial arts, and I see archery as an extension of of my martial arts practice. Um, but it's something I've taken up fairly recently, uh, around when I turned thirty. I'm thirty eight now, uh, or almost thirty eight. And um, no, sorry, almost thirty nine. <laughs> That's okay. You're not at forty yet, so you're okay. Thanks, mate. Thanks. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but the the archery thing has is, is something I always wanted to do, and I just um, took the plunge one day. And I love diving into new pursuits. Um, I've always, uh, well, I, I've always tried not to be afraid of of being the white belt 
again, to use a martial arts mm -hmm. analogy, to walk in to a new place of learning, to, to, to try and acquire a new skill and to put on that white belt and, and just, you know, absorb as much as you can. Um, and I love that process of going from knowing nothing to um, slowly, yeah, discovering how much there is to know. And archery has definitely been like that for me. Um, it's been a pretty personal journey, and I think it is for a lot of people. Um, archery is a really diverse discipline, and uh, I see it as an art form. It's, it's a thriving sport as well, and um, I'm starting to get into the sport side of, of archery, but uh, for me, the sport, the athletic side, has, has been a component of it um but it, it can be a very personal journey uh and it has taken me a number of years to find a place where i'm comfortable with my approach and yeah just archery is is uh is incredibly welcoming as well um like i said before it's it's extremely diverse and there, there are so few limitations to, you know, I, I, you know uh, anyone can practice archery. Archery is for everyone. Um, it doesn't matter if you have no vision. It doesn't matter if you, you have physical impairment. Um, there, there are lots and lots of ways to adapt archery to work for you. And uh, for me, it's just been a bit of experimentation over the years a lot of time spent on my own but also uh, more recently reaching out to others and um, getting some really great coaching and uh, just yeah experimenting with where to next um, because it's yeah it's not so much about competitions for me it's it's more a, a personal challenge and I think it's yeah, it's just such can be a very addictive thing to get into. Um, yeah, like any hobby, I guess, right? Yeah, well, maybe like not a hobby, hobby, but any but... art, any kind of anything that you're really passionate about. That you next thing you know, you're like, man, I've got like forty bows laying around here. How did that yeah. happen? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that's disturbingly accurate, John. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, I mean, I think there's something unique about archery in the fact that it's it's the same thing over and over and over. It's literally, you're just trying to perfect one mm -hmm. move. You know, it's it's similar to golf, but even golf has a short game and mm -hmm. a long game. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got the drive, you've got putting, you've, all of that sort of stuff. You know, mm -hmm. archery, you've just got a bow and an arrow, and you're just trying to put that arrow in the same spot every time. Mm -hmm. Uh, your circumstances might change, could be uphill, downhill, or long or short, or you know, um, but essentially, physically, it's the same action over and over and over again. And the other thing that's kind of unique about these sort of disciplines like shooting sports, um, darts, in Australia, we have lawn bowls, in you know, uh, Canada, I think of uh, curling as the lawn bowls on ice you know mm. these are these are sports where it's so obvious when you're less than perfect and you're never perfect 
you're, you know, you have a target, literally, a target with a bullseye. Mm-hmm. And and that I think starts to become the addictive part of it. You're you're um you, you don't have to interpret a lot of uh abstract data to think, well, let's compare it to music because we're both uh, music lovers, you know. Well, how's my music sounding? How's how's this song sound? Well, I think it sounds like this, I think it sounds like this. It could be better, it could be worse. You know, it's a little bit subjective. It's very but, subjective, um, yeah. There's, there's nothing very subjective about a bullseye with an arrow that's, you know, sitting way off to the left. It. Right, yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So um, I think it's that repetitive moving meditation aspect of archery um, that becomes quite addictive. And, I mean, for me, with, with my level of vision, I, I stick to what is uh, doable for me and... Obviously, it's it's a martial art with a, a weapon that is uh, seriously deadly. So you have to be careful, and mm-hmm. safety is always always first mm-hmm. when it comes to archery and, and any shooting sport. Um, so you know, the way that I practice archery, uh, safety is always first on my mind. And if it's in conditions that I can't guarantee, you know, I'll I'll be a responsible archer, then it's just not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said, it's a, it's an amazingly diverse discipline, and um, and I have friends who are totally blind or, or um, have vision impairment uh, far more severe than mine that use um, something called a tactile sight, which is a sight that um, lines up. You line your feet up, you line your hand up. Um, your bow hand or the hand you're holding the bow with. Uh, you can have little points to help you align your arrow to the target and you'll have a spotter. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can practice that way. Um, but for me, you know, I don't need a tactile sight. I'm, I'm legally blind. Um, but I do have enough vision to, to see a target at 10, 20, 30 40 meters, depending on the size of the target, obviously. Um, I have archery friends that, that are amazing trick shot experts that love to pluck a, an M&M out of the sky, you know. Whoa, <laughs> That's really? not Yeah, it's, I mean, nice. people do some amazing things with archery. They like to, um, to pluck a drop of water out of the sky or... Um, Wow. Yeah, hit a dandelion at 50 meters or something, and, and that's not what I do. I cannot see well enough yeah. to see something that small. But if you get me a big target, I can find the center of it. Even if I can't see the, that color that's right in the center of the bullseye. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't use the colored target faces very much. It, um, yeah, I... I uh, I really enjoy being in the in the bush, out in the forest, uh, shooting tree stumps, or pine cones, and things of that nature. Mm. Or um, yeah, shooting three D targets is, is one thing that um, it's quite a lot of fun to do. Three D targets of, of animals and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and and generally, you know, if I can see it, I can find the center of it, and I can I can hit it and um, if I'm not close enough, if I can't, then that's the end of that 
story you know there's mm-hmm. there's no uh, let's have a go and see because that's not um, responsible archery to me so I guess there is like we were talking about before a bit of a um, pre-defensive sort of um, attitude I have towards archery where there's a little bit of a paradox here there's you know vision impairment and uh and a deadly projectile weapon don't really (laughs) seem to... (laughs) Those don't mix well, usually, yeah. But So it's kind of something that I like to say is um, you you mentioned uh, people with with total vision loss um, that that do that too, but but you don't use those particular things because of Mm -hmm. your situation. And that's how I... I I call myself... I'm I'm dangerous and I can see enough to be dangerous. And I think that's (laughs) almost a, like, exact description of what you just described. You you have a... A, a projectile, a sharp projectile that you're going to be launching across, you know, 20 meters or whatever it is you're going to be doing. You got to be mm-hmm. pretty sure, you know, that, uh, there's nothing else out there. Oh yes. Yeah. yeah. You, you want to be. And so, you know, you just have to use common sense yeah. really and just apply it to your situation. Um, having said all of that, you know, when, uh, about the time it starts to get really comfortable for me to shoot without vision aids is the time it's getting irresponsible for my archery friends to join me unless we chuck on a light of some sort, you know what I mean? So there uh, I can, yeah, shoot in some conditions that they would find far too dark. Yeah, those Um, would be advantageous to you but not to them. Yes, yeah. It's a bit of a silver lining. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about the type of bow. Are there are there lots of different kind of bows? There, there's a, a lots of different kinds of arrows, different and bows, strings, arrows, again, and yes, you wouldn't believe. I don't the, even know yeah. all the parts. That I don't even know the names for the little feathers that are. Well, on you the... hit the main three. Yeah, okay. string, bow, arrow. Those are the most important things. Um, and that... and you get what about a quiver? Do you have a quiver? Oh, you do, mate. You do. Yeah. You, you need a quiver, yeah. Um, lots of different quivers. Okay. But the, the kinds of bows that I, I shoot are uh, known as traditional bows. They're, they're really bows that are American, uh, 20th century bows from the, from the sort of early, mid-20th century, um, uh, refined in North America, um, long bows, traditional recurve bows, they're uh, usually made of wood, sometimes with some uh, laminates, fiberglass or fancy materials, modern materials, but uh, the designs are very much the same as they have been for 50, 60, 70, 80 years. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, yeah, they have no bow sights or no, no attachments or accessories. So um, the... The style of archery I practice is is known as instinctive archery, um, where you're not using a, a formal sighting method to to dial in your your arrows. Um, your it's kind of a bit more like kicking a football or um, throwing a, a ball to someone. You don't have a sight to mm-hmm. aim in. You don't sort of look down your arm when you throw a ball. Mm-hmm. or get down where the football is on the ground and and line it all up. Mm-hmm. You just sort of look where you want to, you know, 
send and, the ball. And through practice, and then, you, uh, yes, you get it there. Yeah. Yep. Well, it's all about proprioception and kinesthetic awareness, mm-hmm. and you're you're aware of where that arrow is in um, relation to your body and uh, where the target is, and and how the yeah, arrow through, works through, once it flies and all that. Exactly, stuff. Yeah. exactly, yeah. And it's just through lots and lots of repetition mm-hmm. that you you start to develop um, these instincts for yeah where to, where to go and. Uh, that that kind of archery is particularly good for um, hunting situations and things like that, um, where you might not have a fixed distance, or um, you might have to take shots quickly, or um, in unusual positions, uh, crouching down, or yeah, things like that. Okay, so uh, archery for dummies here. Uh, it does the does the arrow rest on your finger or your thumb or something with when you're certain, when you're... certain kinds of bows it might but but these ones what what sort of makes them uniquely uh american is that it's it's in the era that they started to cut a little shelf into the bow okay. so you would rest rest your arrow on that but if you went to uh, shoot an english long bow the arrow would rest on your hand or if you went to shoot a, a turkish horse bow or a Korean longbow, the the arrow would rest on your hand. So a lot of traditional, more traditional bows, um, yeah, you'll shoot off your hand. Yeah, but in America uh, we're lazy, so we figured we put a little shelf on there. Well, I mean, <laughs> you, America is is quite unique uh, because you you have um, a history of archery through uh, Native American culture and First Peoples mm-hmm. of North America as well. Um, and then it intersects with European archery. Um, and, yeah, you get this this unique kind of style of bow, the flat bow, um, and the, yeah, the traditional recurves um, that, that came out of America. So... It's, it's strongly rooted in, in America and Canada in, in hunting tradition as well. Um, these bows were all made for, for that purpose initially. Um, and then uh, target archery and, yeah, the sport of archery slowly became more and more popular and, and people started putting sights on bows and stabilizers and all sorts of gadgets. And, um, yeah, and then you have Olympic archery much like we see it today and of course compound bows which is something yeah that was the other thing i wanted to ask you about what's a compound bow what that was my other compound bow is a it's a bow with um cams rotating wheels uh at the end Mm -hmm. of the limbs and and this means that um well, the, the long might short be of like it the, is, the string maybe like go around a couple times or it's yeah there's there's a cable the string is very different so uh, the big difference is that when you pull back a compound bow once you reach your full draw you're you're all, only holding a fraction of the weight of the bow which is is the huge advantage of compound bows um, so if my bow is 40 pound draw weight, my recurve or my long bow, when I pull it back and I have, I'm in full draw about to shoot, I'm holding all of that 40 pounds mm-hmm. um, with my back. And 
uh, on a compound bow, you would start to draw and it would be that you would feel that 40 pounds and then very quickly as you as you um, went into full draw, you know, 60 to 80% of that draw weight, depending on your bow, would um, disappear and you'd be left holding, you know, four or five pounds. Gotcha. So you can easily sort of hold that for a much longer time. Um, and all of the technology on compound bows makes them a lot more accurate. They are very accurate sights. You actually sight like a the rear sight on a rifle. Um, you have a little peep sight is what they call it in the string itself. So you look through the string mm. to your front sight mm-hmm. near your, your bow hand uh, and you can line your arrow up like that. Now using sights for me just means it puts the emphasis back on my vision, which is not the strongest sense I have. Um, my sense of touch is, you know, probably what I rely on uh, more than other senses. And that's, that's where your proprioception and your kinesthetic awareness uh, is rooted in your sense of touch. And so in a weird way, you know, I, I, I use what I can see in my sight picture um, with what I can feel in my body and then uh, try and get an accurate shot out of that, um, if that makes sense. But putting a, a sight with a sight pin in front of me just means that I'm, I'm focusing on my vision more at the expense perhaps of my other senses. And so that's why I shoot the way that I do. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. <laughs> okay, so we uh, we want to talk about music too, and uh, before I cut you loose here, I want to find out about your musical uh, abilities and talents. You play play some instruments, <laughs> is that right? I do. Yes. I, well, I I played piano um, since I was five, I think. And um, it's appropriate. The keys are black and white. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's true. Um, no, I love the piano. I, I uh, I've um, been a performing musician since I left high school. Um, I I teach um, singing and piano. I'm an early educator, music educator. I teach a lot of young people music um, from very young age to to adults. Uh, I yeah, I have a strong passion for music, and there's a there's a quirky little link between music and archery that I love to, to waffle on about. Um, oh, tell me more. Tell me more. Well, there's, there's a lot of odd similarities between music and archery. Uh, the technology to, to make a, a bow is very similar to the kind of technology that, that um, you would need to make a simple harp or um, a stringed instrument. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you need a string that's not going to keep stretching um, and you need to hold it under tension. Once you have that technology, it's not a huge leap to <laughs> weaponize it and turn it into a bow and arrow. <laughs> I'm not really sure which way, the, the, probably a book in this someday, but uh, I'm not sure which way it happened first. And the, the fascinating thing about archery is that it seems to have developed in isolated pockets around the world independently. And it often has a lot to do with the materials available. Uh, a lot like making instruments um, in a traditional way would have 
done. Like mm-hmm. uh, you, you make instruments with what you have readily available. And so uh, there's that link. And you find cultures that have a, a strong tradition of stringed instruments often have an archery tradition as well and their projectile weapons. And, and cultures that don't have stringed instruments as, as part of their musical culture tend not to have um, implements of archery Interesting. Uh, as well. There. Yeah. So um, there are other ways that there's, there's similarities. You tune a bow uh, just like you tune a stringed instrument. You, you lengthen and shorten the string of the bow until the bow essentially plays the right note. So by sound, um, you, 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 you tune it by well, sound? You don't kind of? tune it by well, – you can tune it by sound. A bow will make a lot of excess noise if it's, if it's not in tune. So it, the energy that should have gone into the arrow will be left over. Mm-hmm. And you'll you'll feel it in your hand. You'll hear it go twang, you know, mm-hmm. make a lot of noise. If it's tuned really well, all of that energy should go into the arrow and leave the bow. Um, so there is a way that you can hear it. I'm still working on a way to actually use a like a guitar tuner to tune mm-hmm. your bow, but it's definitely possible. Um, and yeah, I just I find it. You know, um, I mean, the, the similarities go deeper than that when you talk about playing music and, and being in the moment. Um, yeah, you, you find that same feeling in archery as well, you know, where you can't be conscious about every little thing you're doing. You have to reach a point where you start to find the groove and you you know things start to happen on their own mm-hmm. um so sorry i'm getting sidetracked back to archery <laughs> but um i love music I, I love teaching piano and, and singing uh i love playing music I've, I've studied music um at the conservatorium in queensland uh and yeah i've i've um played extensively uh, around Australia and a little bit in New Zealand. And I even played in New York once, which was pretty fun. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and yeah, I love jazz and I love, um, funk and soul and reggae and, and, you know, it's hard to find a genre that I can't appreciate in some way. Um, so I'll, I'll play just about anything and, uh, but, but jazz is, is probably, yeah, where, I've spent a lot of my time as a pianist and a vocalist. Okay, so like, let's break. Even jazz has a pretty good spectrum to it. It does. So you got like smooth jazz, you got like classic jazz, you got like lounge jazz, you got like mm-hmm. the the singer, you know, like Frank Sinatra style jazz Crooning, kind of stuff. Yeah, Crooners, yeah. yeah. So like, what's what's the sweet spot what's for you there? That? Yeah, all of those sound pretty sweet to me. Um, you know, I don't play a. I haven't been gigging for a while. I've been teaching more recently, but yeah, I've played all of um, all across that spectrum, um, and in in a lot of other contemporary styles as well. But I, I mean, I suppose yeah, for me, I, I love modal jazz and um, the hard swinging uh, jazz of the sixties and mm-hmm. um, like big band 70s. kind of stuff. And no, not not really. Not that old. Like. Um, not that old, more like uh, McCoy Tyner, 
Miles Davis, Chick Corea, okay. Herbie Hancock. Um, Love Herbie Hancock, yeah. Yeah, these kind of experimental pioneers that came out of the uh, the jazz master era of the 50s into the 60s and mm -hmm. 70s and 80s and, and kept innovating and kept experimenting. But, yeah, I love stuff where the piano sounds tough, you know, um, like that's why I love McCoy, Tyner. Um, yeah, tough piano player. I love the, the sweet um blue note players as well like your bill evans and uh oscar peterson and and guys like that but um yeah modal jazz is is a lot of fun for me it provides a lot of freedom it's probably what i enjoy playing uh, a lot it's not always the mm -hmm. most pleasant to listen to maybe it's a bit indulgent mm -hmm. as a performer but um yeah there's a lot of freedom in, in that kind of uh, music. And I, that's what jazz means to me. It's, I, I think I approach archery and martial arts with a jazz mindset. I like to approach lots of things with jazz mindset. And, and to me, I'm going to have to make another uh, link between martial arts and jazz. It's, it's like um, Bruce Lee's philosophy of Jeet Kune Do. Uh, it's, it's not a style. It's a, it's a philosophy, mm -hmm. you know, it's an approach, it's a formula that can be applied to different creative pursuits. And when you apply this formula to your situation, you're not going to end up with the same result as someone else applying the same approach. Um, so you can play, you know, um, Miles Davis talked extensively about this, about how you can, uh, you know, if you're just replicating the sound of jazz, then that's not really jazz. Now, we all love genres and, and, and hearing music that's familiar, and um, I don't think there's anything intrinsically wrong with that. Uh, but the philosophy of jazz is, is more an approach than a, a genre. You know, it, it can take on any form it any soundscape, any instrument, um, and, yeah, apply that formula to how you approach that music. Um, and so I, I try and, yeah, use that adaptability in anything I, I approach, um, whether it's something physical or something, you know, uh, creative like music. Um, yeah, so... I think when I, I talk about jazz, that's that's kind of, you know, it's one of the reasons I love it so much. <laughs> um, but yeah, it is a it is a funny. Uh, it has a lot of stereotypes, I guess. Jazz, jazz does sure, yeah. <laughs> but everything has stereotypes, you know, and I and suppose, the people yeah. that are doing the stereotype are the ones that don't, you know, probably don't really know what's really going on anyway, right? So. Possibly, yes. <laughs> well, awesome, Andy. Maybe we can get together and we'll do some stereotyping of our own. I'm thinking, so like you're in uh, Mel Melbourne. That's it. Right. Yeah. And awesome. I'm in Texas. And you've got, some, you've got some ties to Texas. So if you're ever in Texas yeah. or I'm in Melbourne or over yep. that way, uh, we're gonna, I'd like to get together. And we're going to listen to some fantastic. jazz, maybe some Herbie oh, yes. or something. Yes, please. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll shoot some uh, shoot some arrows. You can teach me some oh, things. Oh, yeah. 
That'd and, be fantastic, um, John. You'd love it. Well, uh, well, depending on where we are, if we're in if we're in Melbourne, we'll throw a shrimp on the barbie. <laughs> uh, or if we're in Texas, we'll cook some uh, brisket or something, some barbecue. Oh yes, so. please. Oh, that'd be fantastic, mate. Sounds like a plan. Awesome. It's been uh, great visiting with you. And I want to make sure yes. people know how to find you. Uh, it's nocturnal underscore archer, is that right? That's on right. Instagram. Is that the best place for people to? It's definitely find the best you? place to find me. Yeah, um, I'm pretty active on Instagram, and um, feel free to shoot me. Yeah, you've got a great DM following. You got some uh, awesome pics, and you're a pretty fascinating guy. And so John. I think we've really just <laughs> kind of scratched the surface, but. Uh, um, it was a pleasure talking to you, mate. It was really, uh, yeah, wonderful to connect over this vast distance. Yes, yeah, seventeen hours time difference, I believe, right? So it is. You better hit the sack. I, yeah, I'm, I, the sun does come up tomorrow for me, right? I mean, it's it's tomorrow there, so it's yep, almost the, even the next right. day for the mass, most part. So yeah, awesome. Well, so far so good. Tomorrow's looking all right over here. So you know, that's that's all I can tell you. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> All right, mate. Well, thanks again. Thank you very much, John. Take it easy, mate. Thanks for spending time with the Ambiguously Blind podcast. Please rate and write a review wherever you subscribe and connect and share with us at ambiguouslyblind.com.